Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 25, verses 1 through 22. Again, that's Exodus, chapter 25, verses 1 through 22. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel that they take from me a contribution From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution from me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tan ramskin, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breastpiece. And let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its furniture, so you shall make it. They shall make an ark of acacia wood, two cubits and a half shall be its length, a cubit and a half its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold, inside and outside shall you overlay it, and you shall make on it a molding of gold around it. You shall cast four rings of gold for it and put them on its four feet, two rings on one side of it and two rings on the other side of it. You shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, and you shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark by them. The poles shall remain in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it, and you shall put into the ark the testimony that I shall give you. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold, Two cubits and a half shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its breadth. And you shall make two cherubim of gold, of hammered work shall you make them, on the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub on one end, and one cherub on the other end. Of one piece with the mercy seat shall you make the cherubim on its two ends. The cherubim shall spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings, their faces one to another. Toward the mercy seat shall the faces be of the cherubim be. And you shall put the mercy seat on the top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. There I will meet with you, and from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It's good to see you. Um, I'm, expe- I'm especially happy, a uh, little toward the ecstatic side, because our team from the Philippines came back this week. And it's like a family that came back together and we could worship together. I I woke up this morning just happy and um, like humming songs in my head. And I'm just looking around now and I have other friends joining us, uh, visiting us. It's so good to worship uh, God with you, my fellow brothers and sisters. Uh, If you don't know, we have been going through the book of Exodus And in Exodus, we see God's redemptive plan for his people in Israel. He takes them from this oppressive, um, just horrible regime and takes them out of this place into the wilderness, gives them his law. And we see that now he's taking them out, giving them his law, and leading them to 
the promised land. And so we're thinking now, okay, I thought God was going to free them. They're gonna, he's going to take them to the promised land. And it seems like there's a lot of stuff going on here, especially since a lot of the movies that we see basically end in chapter 20 once he receives the Ten Commandments, boom, 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 and the song comes out and it's over. But there's still 20 chapters left to go. So for us, we are, how should we take it? Perhaps there's something that's still missing. And so this is where we begin in Exodus 25. You know, I'm a homebody, uh, but I would love to be that rugged wilderness man. I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm just fronting, but out in the open, you know, fending for yourself, protecting your family from wild animals, roaring into the, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but the truth is when I, I do get excited to go out, to go camping and to go on picnics, whatever, but my excitement immediately not just diminishes, it vanishes uh, when I get my first mosquito bite. Um, it goes away, and I just hate outside. I hate bugs, especially mosquitoes. I firmly believe that mosquitoes came to being when Adam sinned. So with sin, there's mosquitoes. Uh, it's not biblical. Please don't take this. Um, don't quote me, uh, but I hate them so much that if I see a mosquito indoors, I will stop whatever I'm doing and I will kill it. I have to. Uh, I went to this place in Hawaii called Makapala and my friends that I would go with, we were doing some work there, doing some shingling on the roof and my friends would complain. It's like, oh man, you know, I was outside. It's so humid. There's so many mosquitoes. I got three or four bites, but I had 22. And even today, when I take out the garbage, and my wife can attest to this, when I take out the garbage, I run and come back, and I get three or four mosquito bites. Uh, so I bought DEET, and so I spray myself just to take out the garbage. It doesn't matter if I'm going out for 30 seconds, uh, but as much as I want to be that wilderness man, I'm not. And so when I think of the Israelites journeying through the desert, so they're free from Egypt, we see these amazing things happen. And I'm reminded again that God's provision has been so incredible even for us so far, but it's not an easy ride. It's not an easy ride. Why is it not easy? Well, because it's not our home. It's not where you can just put up your feet and relax, at least not yet. The Lord is still leading them home. We saw the Lord giving his people the law and what revealed it, what was revealed in the law was his character. He was showing his people who he was. And we saw that he did it because he loves his people. And if you love someone, you want the person that you love to know you. And through the law, we see God reveal his character, his will, and his love for his people. Okay, so we got the law. Let's go, right? And so we read in chapter 25, the Lord says to Moses, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel that they take a, for me a contribution from every man whose heart moves him. You shall receive the contribution for me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them. Gold, silver, bronze. And he goes on this list. Let's go and take up an offering. Is this a church service? What's with the offering? And so pausing before the next event to take the contribution 
is not just a coincidence. The pause here to take up the collection is to give people time and room to do certain things. And we're going to go over that really quickly. Number one, it's time to respond. Once we've received the word as a people, we are given time to respond to it. Response is something that we've gone over. And while the, while it, the response in the past was either to sing or to eat, as we've read in Exodus, this time we see as a response, not just any kind of response, remember that God was bringing his people out of Egypt so that they may be taught how to worship him. And this is a time of worship through giving. And so here's who can give and how they were to give. And the Bible says here, from every man whose heart moves him. Commentators have suggested that the heart that is moved, translation could also be read as, they couldn't help but to. You can't help but to give. Just as they couldn't help but to burst into song, here we see that God gives people the opportunity to give out of the gladness and the joy of their hearts. But they didn't give whatever they wanted. It's important to note that God had specific things that they could give as a contribution. The list is there in the following verses. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and fine twine, linen, goat's hair, tan ramskins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the, for the land, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones, stones for setting, and for the ephod and for the breast piece. So he gives them specific things too. And that's not only time to respond, but he gives them room, room to participate. Room to participate. Love prompts us to have those that we love join us in our work. God does the same here. By giving to the fund that is being collected, the people are shown what this collection will be used for. The tabernacle. The tabernacle was to be a dwelling place for God. And here we could stop and ask the question again, wait, I thought we were on our way to the promised land. What's this about a tabernacle? I mean, I thought that God was already with the people. We had the pillar of cloud by day, fire by night. We had the meeting in the mountain, the mountain shaking. Is the mountain going to move with us? What's, what's going on? What's up with this tabernacle? And some of you here are smart. I know that because I know you. And you might already be thinking to yourself, no, no, no. God is leading them, but with every step, he's revealing more about himself to his people. First through the pillar of cloud and fire, then the mountain, etc., right? And I would say, right, yes. But how? How does he do that? So let's get on with it. Yes, the how and the what is going to be shown here. How God reveals himself more and more to his people is exactly also what God is revealing. What are you talking about? What does this all mean? Remember from the very beginning of Exodus, we said that nothing is random. No manifestation of a tree on fire, to snakes eating other snakes, to the plagues, the deaths, the rituals, etc. None of these things are random. And there is a phrase or idiom you might be familiar with where uh, we might even say to each other, the devil is in the details. It's referring to how there's a trick or a mistake hidden in the details that you should catch. And especially said in negotiation. In negotiation, the devil is in the details. People might say that. 
but it comes from an older saying. God is in the detail. God is in the detail. And while the exact origin of this saying is unknown, um, the spirit and meaning of this can be found in God's people. As God's people study God's word all the way from way back to even here. Details weren't to be glossed over or skimmed. Like perhaps we're tempted to do when we do a Bible reading challenge. We come to Exodus 25. And then you go, brah. But when someone important or brilliant would sit down with us, write down a detailed blueprint. And while sometimes you might, when receiving this, you might wonder, I wonder why this brilliant architect would do this or think this or put this here. We, in the very least, would take it seriously, right? We would take it seriously. How much more so when it's from the creator of the entire universe. So I thought for sure we would start on our trek to the promised land, start moving, let's go, but I suppose we can linger here and build these things, God, is how we may respond when we're faced with similar situations. I was so blessed by God this week. So many miraculous things happen. I'm so ready to go. Okay, what's next? What's next? Read the Bible? I, I don't read too good. Can't I just do something else? You're blessed. You got a new house, a brand new house of worship. Excited? All right, let's go and read the Bible. And this isn't done so that it's like a buzzkill. This wasn't done because God was saying, way too much emotion there, guys. Time to dial it down. In fact, it was out of excitement and joy that the people were to give to the building of this tabernacle. So what is in the details? For me, the first thing that stood out while studying this passage were the cherubim. And I thought we had studied this. I thought you weren't supposed to make images. What's going on? I guess it's not images of God, but I guess angels are okay. And by the way, the images of cherubim or angels, angels aren't babies. I blame the Renaissance era for this, but the Bible depicts them as terrifying when humans come into contact with angels. In fact, cherubim and seraphim are put together, and seraphim is also translated flaming serpents. So there are things that are, would terrify people, and you would see people just collapsing when an angel would come and visit them. And so when you think and picture the ark, I wouldn't think that they built like little babies with wings on them, not at least until the 1400s, but um, before that, you, you could imagine. But when God goes build the cherubim, where is another place in the Bible before this that we saw this word cherubim? In Genesis chapter 3, verse 24, he drove out the man and the and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So think about this. Could it be, could it be that God is leading them, yes, back to Eden? Coincidence? Okay, that was the ark. The next section we read about a lampstand. It has so many arms or branches coming out. Literally says branches. 
It's reminiscent of a tree. Wait, we just read about the tree that the cherubim were guarding. Coincidence? Okay, maybe. Let's go again. In the creation account, we see that God said, God said, seven times. Chapter 1, verse 3, 6, 9, 14, 20, 24, 26. In the tabernacle instructions, all the way from chapter 25 to 31, we read that Yahweh says to Moses, that's right, Yahweh said to Moses seven times. 25, 1, 30, 11, 17, 22, 34, 31, 1, 12. And to top it off, both accounts climb and end off with the Sabbath. The building of the tabernacle is strangely reminiscent of the building of the Garden of Eden. Okay, maybe. If Eden then was a tabernacle or a temple or dwelling place of God, then wasn't Adam, its priest, being charged in chapter 2, verse 15, work and keep it. And this work and keep it is translated elsewhere as serve and guard. And this is where we get our elders commissioning to know that we are to serve and guard the gospel. Yes, elders sometimes mean and has the connotation of someone being older, but likewise, elders are charged with serving and guarding the gospel, the presbyteros. And so apostles understood this when they appointed deacons so that they could focus on the ministry of the word and of prayer so they could serve and guard the gospel. These words, serve and guard, or to uh, work and keep, are used again of priests in Numbers 3, 8, and 18. And so the description of Adam's charge and the priest's duties are very strikingly similar. Okay. So let's think back to the lampstand. It looks like a tree. It burns with fire, but it's never consumed. What does that bring us back to? Moses' first encounter with God. Holy ground. Why? Because it signified that the presence of God was there. And all throughout the tabernacle's architecture, we see that God's presence is present. And that is what's being displayed. All the furnitures have rings and poles permanently built into them because it's going to be constantly on the move. Why? Because God's people were going to be moving and God's presence would be going with them. So let's dial it back really quickly and go to these uh, pieces of furniture. God's ark can be uh, seen as God's reign. And you might be thinking, when, I re when we read this, why these exact dimensions, 2.5 cubits by 1.5 cubit, etc.? For one, uh, these were the same proportions of a footstool of an ancient king. So when a king would judge, he sat. And remember, we read this, Moses was seated and he judged while the people stood during the judicial process. And so the king would put his foot feet on a footstool and judge because he was seated. And these were the exact dimensions of an ancient king. And so God's people, you're shown, were not to be ruled by an earthly king. God is their king. And God reigns from heaven. 
And I think you may have heard this, but in Isaiah 66, verse 1, it says, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. And then the law was supposed to be placed in the ark and then covered the mercy seat, or kaporet. The kaporet is where also we would get the word kippur or yom kippur. It literally means atonement, cover. What does this all mean? That God's reign not only brings justice because he is seated and judging, but it also brings mercy. So when blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat or place of atonement, we Christians are reminded that's exactly what was intended when Jesus spilled his blood for us, covering the penalty of breaking the law, covering us with mercy. So that's the ark. Let's go to the table is next, God's fellowship. Most homes have a table, and when the family and sometimes have guests together, they share fellowship around this table. God's tabernacle also has a table. And he says in verse 30, And you shall set the bread of presence on the table before me regularly. We read last week about how God invited them to the table to eat and drink. And now in this tabernacle, it's to be done regularly. So salvation isn't a one-time event. It's a continuous, ongoing, life-giving, yes, but life-growing event. And so that's why we regularly participate in the Lord's Supper, commemorating what Jesus has done, but also looking forward to our time with Jesus in eternity. And then we go to the lamp, God's leading. The lamp may have been reminiscent of a tree, namely the tree of life, but it was also a lamp. It illuminated the way. The tabernacle was on the move. And the fire in the lamp that was never consumed or extinguished signified that the Lord would continually light the way for his people. Until when? Until they get there. Verse 37, you shall make seven lamps for it, and the lamp shall be set up so as to give light on the space in front of it. God is leading his people forward to himself, through himself. But the tabernacle isn't around anymore, or the temple for that matter. Why? Because these things pointed forward to something, namely someone, namely Jesus. In John 1.14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The tabernacle means dwelling place. Pointed to God, dwelling among us. In Jesus, the reign of God or the kingdom of God is where God would dwell. And so here we see that the ark, when Jesus comes, he reveals that the ark only held what was to come, the word of God. In the beginning was the word and the word was God, word was with, excuse me, word was with God and the word was God. The ark was showcasing Jesus. So what about the table? What did it showcase? The bread. In John 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And what about the lamp? You got it. The light. John, 18, John 8, 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light 
of life. And this is where I get really excited personally. And I, I think like I'm reading this and I feel like I'm nerding out. This is amazing. Every single detail, every single dimension, every single thing that we're supposed to do regularly or just ritually, every single thing's pointing to Jesus, isn't it? That's crazy. And I, I had a feeling when I was preparing this, I can't be the only nerd. I'm sure so many people here are excited. In fact, I think all of you are excited. So excited, right? You're so excited. Like, ooh, Jesus. Uh, but, <clears throat> but every single thing here is showcasing and pointing to Jesus. Every detail that we read, that we study, the way home then is Jesus. He even says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes through the Father except through me. Every step is a step closer to home, a step closer to God. And everything here is pointing to Jesus Christ. But we can't stop here because the Bible doesn't either. And please, continue to nerd out with me. You may have noticed that there is a steady movement outward in the architecture, in the building. Something from the most inner and holy, and you start building sections of the tabernacle, and then you go to the altar all the way to the outer courts. And there is something between the courts and the inner tent where the tabernacle was. It's the altar. Sin bars us from going inside to the place we need to be, that we really need to be. Sin is what separated Adam and Eve from God and his dwelling place in Eden. And so in between, there is an altar. And we just talked about Jesus being the way. And the way in the tabernacle was through the altar. The way home, to get home, is through the altar. Right before John 14, 6, where he goes, I am the way. Remember that? His disciples are asking him, wait, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? We don't know how to get inside. How do we go inside the tabernacle? How do we go inside to the dwelling place where you are? And Jesus goes, don't you see, I am the way. The blood spilled on the altar was his and it opens the way for us to enter. Adam couldn't do it. Noah couldn't do it. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Job, Moses, Aaron, they all could not do it. They couldn't complete and finish the priestly work themselves because it was all a prefigurement of Jesus. On the cross, Jesus spilled his blood and he was able to say, it is finished. And now, friends... It's your turn to respond. Will you respond with the joyful giving of not only precious things in your life, but your very life, your very life itself to follow Jesus? Only then can you follow him as a disciple and enter into the tabernacle. Find your way home, the way back home is following Jesus Christ. As a church, this is what I pray daily for all of you, that we can read the scripture. This is what we'd be excited about. But most importantly, we see that the word is pointing us to the majesty and the glory 
and the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. And this is who we follow. Every detail, every single measurement, every single piece of equipment, wood, stone, metal, all these things point to our Savior. And when you place your trust in Him, we can finally, finally find our way home. These are just steps. This place here is a step. This is not home. It's a step, and it should point to something. And when we gather here, what are we pointing to? And we see here the architecture, all these things were pointing to the most beautiful being to have ever walked on this earth. He who had his throne in heaven would come down to where his footstool was and join his people so that he can lead his people back home. My friends, Jesus is the way home. Place your trust in him and your life is assured. Let's pray.